Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Christianity 101 here. Jesus gives birth to the church. So this can't be the church. Well, not only that, but then 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you're taking notes, Paul talks about presenting the church as a chaste virgin bride of Christ. Now, if this is the church, then the virgin bride is pregnant. And we got a little problem. Hmm, no problem. Now, what is it, Rodney? I believe it's clear. I believe it's clear. I believe it is obvious. The woman is the wife of Jehovah, and that is why she is pregnant. In the New Testament, we are told the church is the wife of Christ. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, we are told by Isaiah and Hosea and others that Israel is the wife of Jehovah. Israel is the wife of Jehovah. As a matter of fact, Israel is called the adulterous wife of Jehovah. Oh, we know that because of the book of Hosea. Hosea is a graphic picture of this. And Hosea was told to marry a prostitute named Gomer. You remember that story. And Gomer, she kept a running after idolatry and whoring after false gods. And God told Hosea, marry her and take her back. The story there, Jehovah with his wife Israel, who just kept going after false gods and other gods. I think it is clear there. Now, stay with me here. I most certainly am not trying to bore you, nor am I trying to impress you, but you need to understand something here. There is in Bible study, In Bible study, we have known, here's a word for today, we have a word known as hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is the study, or within hermeneutics, there are laws of scripture interpretation. There's laws. So there's several laws in the study of hermeneutics that help us to interpret the scripture. One such law is the law of first mention. Write that down. Very important. The law of first mention. In other words, the way something is used the first time in the Bible sets the tone for interpreting that subject throughout the whole Bible. It's called the law of first mention. The first time you see it in the Bible sets the pace or the pattern for how you might interpret other verses as you move through the Bible. Now, With the law of first mention in mind, Genesis chapter 37, we have the story of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, governed by God. 
And Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now there in Genesis 37 verses 9 through 11 is the first place we see a woman, stars, and moon. One of the sons of Jacob, you know, his name was Jacob. And Jacob had two dreams. The first dream, he dreamt he and his brothers were binding their sheaves and his brother's sheaves bowed down to his. And so he went and told his brothers, mistake. And they were like, oh, yeah, right. Because See, Jacob, his older brother, you know, he was like the annoying younger brother. And the favorite in the family. I'm sure he had fat little cheeks and just a cute little something. Mommy's baby. And the brothers were jealous of him. So Jacob went and told the brothers, hey, you guys, I just had a dream. Really? What? You guys were bowing down to me. What? Well, then he had another dream. And in the second dream, he told his brothers again, he said, I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars, and they were bowing down to me. He even went and told his father, Jacob. And Jacob was infuriated. You mean to tell me your mom and me are going to bow down to you? Boy, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. You know how your parents are. No, you know how you you are. He was infuriated. And then he told his brothers. And his brothers thought, we're going to get him. And so they hated Joseph. And they put him in a pit. You know the story. He found himself in Egypt. And we know as you fast forward the story years later, Joseph was the prime minister of the land. And true enough, his brothers and his family had to bow down before him for food. So Genesis chapter 37, we have the same picture of the stars, the sun, and the moon. And in this picture, we see the nation of Israel. So if we're going to be theologically consistent, this woman is Israel. And Israel brings forth Jesus who comes from the lion. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And it is Jesus who will rule with the rod of iron or strict justice. He will rule. Psalm 2, verse 7 through 9. Speaking of Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them. Note this with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus, the woman, is Israel. Jesus is the male child. And notice this woman was about to deliver this child, and the plot thickens because a great, hideous, fiery red dragon appears. Now, there's no confusion. Who's the dragon? Satan. We don't have to discuss that. The devil, Satan, appears. And notice he's fiery red because that speaks of his murderous motivations. He's full of evil. John 10, if you're taking notes, the thief comes to kill, to rob and destroy. John 8, 44, Jesus calls Satan a murderer from the beginning. And notice this dragon has 10 horns. Ten horns correspond with, or these ten horns actually correspond with the ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. That's your homework. Go look it up and read it. Daniel chapter 2. The ten horns speak of his kingdom, a ten-nation confederacy. We'll talk about that in chapter 13 next week. We'll talk more about that. The seven heads. Notice that refers to the empire 
or the city or the location of the Antichrist, his base of power. And then the seven crowns or diadems on his head, which speak of his presumptive, the operative word, his presumptive claims of royalty and authority. Presumptive claims of royalty and authority. So the dragon appears with ten horns, seven heads, crowns on his heads, and he is angry. And he drew with his tail a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. Now, when you read the word stars, don't think of the cosmos like the stars you, you see. Think of angels. These are fallen angels. And he stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered and sought to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, write these two verses down. Look them up in your own time. I don't have time this morning. Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us that Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Satan was the music guy. He was a worship leader in heaven. And one day Satan got tired of leading worship and he wanted to be the worship, be worshiped. And so he was filled with pride. Isaiah 14 tells us the five I wills of Satan. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the most high God. And it was when Satan got tired of doing the ministry that God gave him, he lifted himself up in pride that God cast him out of heaven. And it's at that time, verse 4 actually gives us the details of that event from a historical standpoint. He took a third of the angels with him, with his tail, and he came down to the earth. And then we see him again in the garden. He took a third of the angels with him, came down to the earth. The next time we see him in Genesis, he is there with Adam and Eve, tempting them. And at that point, when Adam and Eve ate, it brought death into the world. The rule of the world was forfeited into the hands of Satan. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is a death blow to the devil. As God pronounced judgment on Satan from the seed of the woman, you, Satan, shall bruise his heel, but he, Jesus, will crush your head. And from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, until this present moment, Satan has sought to destroy the purpose and the plan of God for the nation of Israel and the purpose and the plan of God for you and for me. And that is why you see in this amazing intensity of anti-Semitism, because Satan is seeking to thwart the plan of God in Israel. And you can look at history from a biblical account and from a secular place of history. You can see that Satan has targeted Israel to be slaughtered. I mean, there's an amazing hatred of the Jew in the world today. Have you noticed? I mean, even from the days of the Bible, the book of Exodus tells us that Pharaoh becomes a type of the Antichrist. And Pharaoh tried to kill every male child in Egypt. In the book of Esther, Haman sought to wipe out the Jew. But God raised up Esther to deliver his people. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Satan attempted to destroy the baby Jesus through Herod. Satan desired to snatch the child as soon as it was born. Satan tried to kill Jesus through the temptation in the wilderness. 
Satan tried to destroy Jesus with every lash that came down upon his back. Satan tried to kill Jesus when he filled Judas' heart to betray him. Satan thought mission accomplished at the crucifixion as Jesus was surrounded by bloodthirsty people. And then Jesus died and his lifeless body laid in a new tomb, a borrowed new tomb. And Satan probably said, ha ha, got him now. He's dead. But hallelujah, you know, three days later, he got up. He didn't stay dead. He got up and Satan's plans were foiled again. They backfired. Satan got a rude awakening on that Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the grave. And in dying, he paid the price for our sins. The devil has always sought to cut off the Messiah. So ultimately, there would be no redeemer. Because if he could have cut off Jesus, you and I would not be able to be saved. We could not be saved if we had no redeemer. So Satan's always sought to kill Jesus. Always. And with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, a church was born. And the Bible says Jesus is going to come back someday and he's going to restore his people. Israel will be saved and Satan's plot will backfire again. And that's why there's so much bigotry in the world and so much anti-Semitism has been directed against the nation of Israel and the Jewish people for thousands of years. I mean, think about it. If there was no Jewish people, no Israel, no Jerusalem. Can Jesus have filled the countless of prophecies spoken of him in the Old Testament? No. And thus it would make God a liar. And let God be true. And every man and every demon in hell be a liar. Amen. God is true. Satan is a liar. And even midway through the tribulation, the attack against Israel will become even more brutal. You know, the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is at peace with Israel. We talked about this. He's going to help Israel, the people of Israel, rebuild their temple. And when they rebuild the temple, that will be the middle Part of the tribulation, a total of seven years at the three and a half year mark when the temple is rebuilt and the people are back to sacrificing and back to worship in the temple. It is at that time, this is under, you need to understand this, at the halfway mark in that next three and a half years, Satan will be at war with Israel. And then Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24, this is key for you to understand. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said to the people of Israel, when you see the Antichrist set up his image in the temple, causing all the world to worship him, Jesus said, Jewish people, hello, when you see that, he says, run, run to the rock, run and hide. And he says, listen, and take off running. Listen, don't stop and get your luggage. Don't stop for food. Don't go back. Pray that your flight is not in the winter, Jesus said, because it's going to be cold. And don't and pray that your flight's not on the Sabbath. Go, run, hide. Notice verse 6 says, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place, note this, prepared by God. I love that. 
God takes care of his people, that they should feed her there 1,260 days or three and a half years. Now, fast forward, Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 14. Turn to verse 14 really quick, really quick. But the woman, notice in verse 14, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is mourning. Note this, for a time, that's one year, and times, that's two more years, and half time, that's a half a year. So what we have is three and a half years. This is where she is to hide. Israel is to hide from the presence of the serpent. God provides a special place of protection for his people, the rock city of Petra. Now, many, many scholars, pretty much all scholars agree, this is the place where the people of Israel are to run when they see the abomination. The Bible says the abomination of desolation, but you could think of it as the abomination which causes desolation. Jesus said, when you see that, he says, run. Many scholars believe that they are to run to the rock city of Petra. It is beautiful. You probably saw a little glimpse of it in the Indiana Jones movie. Remember when they were going to find the the Holy Grail and that beautiful red sandstone, different color red city that is hewn in the rocks. I've wanted, I want to tell you so much about that, but I don't have time this morning. But, but needless to say, this place is only accessible by horseback and can easily be defended against the attacks of the enemy. This is the place that many scholars believe the Jews will flee to, the place that is prepared by God. Well, notice the woman, but not only the woman, but our second point this morning. Notice there's a war in Heaven. Notice in verses 7 through 12, and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. I always get the scene of like a boxing ring. Michael in one corner, his angels. Satan and his angels in the other corner. They meet in the middle and duke it out. But they lost. Satan lost. Verse 8, they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. Look at how many names he has. The serpent of old, the dragon, called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in verse 10, in heaven now salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser, of the brethren. Notice that. He's accuser of the sistren too. Just wanna wanna include you ladies there. The accuser of the brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Notice three things overcomes the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, number one, and by the word of their testimony, number two, and they did not love their lives to the death, number three. Therefore rejoice, verse 12, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants on the earth. You see, Satan is kicked out of heaven, and heaven rejoices because he's not there. And then on the earth, though, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows, because he knows 
His time is short. Notice that. Give me your attention. Notice when the Antichrist begins to persecute the Jewish people, they flee to the mountains, as we said. And war breaks out in heaven. This is a dramatic scene that's taking place there in heaven between Michael and the dragon or Satan. Now, the name Michael means who is like God. And Satan means adversary. So there is a battle between Michael and Satan. Now, let's just quickly take the time to correct a misnomer. Many people I've heard say Satan is the opposite of God. Satan is not the opposite of God. God has no counterpart. God is God and God stands alone. The psalmist said, who is like thee, O God? In other words, that's a question that really can't be answered. There is none like thee. Who can you compare God to? No one. Satan is not the opposite of God. God is self-existent. God is eternal. Satan's time is short. God is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Satan, time is short. You see, God stands alone. God stands alone. The opposite of Satan would be more like Michael, the chief angel. Michael, the archangel. Notice they're duking it out in the heavenly scene. Now, God doesn't duke it out with the devil. All God needs to do is say, gone. As a matter of fact, let's go one step better. All God has to do is think it, and it's done. That's it. That's God. God God stands in a class all by himself. He's just there. It's just God. There's no counterpart. Now, their kingdoms are opposite. Yes, God's kingdom is light and life. Satan's kingdom is death and darkness. But Satan would be more like an opposite with Michael, not with God. Now, you say to me, Rodney, notice when... This battle took place. God kicked him out of heaven. And you say to me, Rodney, now wait a minute. Now you just said in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, I was listening. You said that God kicked Satan out at that time and a third of the angels went with him. Didn't you say that? Yeah, I did say that. But let's understand something. It's at that point that God kicked him out of heaven, but Satan still had access to heaven. Satan could not be a resident of heaven. But he had access to heaven. Here in the middle of the tribulation, Satan no longer can go in and out of heaven. But he could, prior to this, go in and out of heaven. Oh, you might remember the stories in Job chapter 1. Satan shows up in the presence of God. And God says, hey, Satan, where you been? Going throughout the earth, trying to make people miserable. God says, oh, well, have you considered my servant Job? And Job's probably thinking, oh, gee, great, God. Oh, sure, get Satan after me. It's like, God, don't brag on me, please. I don't need any more trials and tribulations. Please? Oh, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, yeah, I consider Job. But you know, God, you protect him. You provide for him. He's got everything he needs and all because of you. But if you take your hand off of him, we'll see what happens. So we see from the story, we know from the story that Satan has access to heaven. He can go in and out, but here in the middle of the tribulation, not so. No longer can he go in and out of 
heaven. Now, something else I want to point out to you. Did you notice this? There is a battle going on between Michael and the dragon in the spiritual world. I believe that if we could peel back, it was like one of those little peelers on a Coke bottle or something. It got the little thing that says peel here, and you take your fingernail and kind of try to pull it. Well, I don't have any fingernails, so I'm always having to, here, honey, do this. But it says peel here. I believe that if we could peel here and pull back this reality that we see right now, I believe we would see good angels and bad angels fighting and duking it out right now. Because there is a battle going on in the spiritual world of something that I think that we Christians don't realize. We don't realize that there is a battle going on. What's the battle for? The battle is for the souls of families and friends. The battle is for your children. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.